This is the Bagel Podcast. Welcome back, everyone, for another episode of the Big O Podcast. I am your host, Julian Ortiz, and on today's episode, I am joined by a Canadian icon, two-time Olympic gold medalist, three-time world champion sprinter, and the only person to ever be inducted into Canada's Sports Hall of Fame twice, Mr. Donovan Bailey. Donovan, how are you doing today? I'm real good, man. It's minus 13 outside in Oakville. Um, other than that, I mean, the sun is shining, so it looks like the Caribbean. So, <laughs> Fair um, enough. I'm doing well, and, and I'm glad to be here today. Awesome. Well, I'm just down the road from you in Mississauga, so I know, you know, the snowfall we just got now mixed with, the, you know, that wind chill. It's a, it's a little frightening to go outside. Thankfully, uh, we can stay inside today and not have to leave our homes. Perfect. Yes. Yes, we can. So we're recording on January 28th, which is Canada's Bell Let's Talk Day. For those of you who are unaware, Bell Let's Talk is focused on engaging Canadians to take action to create positive mental health. As an athlete, partner, and father, can you talk a little bit about your experience with mental health? You know what? Um, I think that uh, my experience with mental health has always been very positive. Um, I had, uh, uh, I was, I was very fortunate. Uh, to be uh, surrounded by some uh, great support system. Um, I'm a, I was a mama's boy. I am a mama's boy. And, and my <laughs> father uh, was my best friend when they were both alive. And so, um, you know, I was surrounded by great support systems, my great friends, uh, great coaches. Um, you know, sports allowed me to kind of expand uh, the ability to, uh, to be comfortable in, socials, in, 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 in like social circles. Uh, you know, so I think those were good. So my so my personal uh, mental health, I feel it's been it's been very balanced. Uh, but I know that it's an incredible disease that's out there, and I know that it affects a lot of people. So it affects a lot of athletes. It affects a lot of people who suffer from from anxiety, being put in stressful situation, and uh, and in light of of uh, the pandemic, in light of COVID right now. Um, we're in a very precarious uh, place in life and in society that a lot of people are suffering, suffering being inside, suffering not being able to interact with uh, their loved ones, suffering uh, not being able to go to work. Um, you know, so it's it's really, it's definitely a tough time right now. However, uh, I think that um, we have to remain vigilant and we have to be supportive of each other and hopefully uh, for any of those that are out there that are suffering in any way, um, hopefully that you have some place to reach out and talk to someone. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, people who have already been experiencing mental health challenges, this put a further strain on it. And people who have never had any mental health challenges have started to develop it for all of the reasons that you just talked about. And so uh, the initiative of Bell Let's Talk Day, you know, if you need help, Talk to someone, check in on your friends. If you're going through something, you're never alone in anything that you do. So it's important that we try to build those support systems. Now, accomplishing the feat 
of being a world champion, Olympic gold medalist, and world record holder all at the same time, and also being named the sprinter of the decade in the 90s, is something that most athletes can only dream of. Now, for someone who worked as a property and marketing consultant, and whose love of sports originated with basketball, how did a man from Manchester Parish become one of the world's all-time greatest and most dominant sprinting legends? Well, I was taught from I was very young. Well, first of all, thank you for that. Um, <laughs> but I was taught from very young to, you know, to give whatever I'm doing, just give it my all. Um, and so, uh, as I'd said before, I, I had an incredible support system and, and the, the people around me didn't set limitations for myself. I knew exactly uh you know, when I started training uh, for track and field, I knew what my goal was. I knew that I wanted to be the very best. I also knew I wanted to be a good leader and to help uh, my teammates to also become Olympic champion and world champion. Uh, the very first thing that I had to do, um, you know, growing up, I thought that hard work and being focused, um, you know, and being dedicated and being disciplined, those are the, those are just the principles of, 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 uh, of achieving goals. Uh, but I also had to lead. Um, when I started in track and field in Canada, especially at the international level, um, I really had to change the mindset of the team. There was a lot of, you know, Canadians really are like great, beautiful, uh, fantastic melting pot. Uh, but uh, the only time that we really uh, try to exert ourselves is when we're playing hockey. So right. the junior team, you know, the junior team goes abroad. You go, man, these kids, they got to bring back the gold medal. <laughs> I mean, the Olympic team, the world championship team. And, and for me, it wasn't so for me, uh, uh, being a leader on the team, it wasn't that far fetched. It wasn't that far fetched from, you know, Wayne or, or Paul Henderson or any of these other guys that kind of went across the pond to say, hey, we're going to be the best. So I changed, I had to change the attitude of, of our, of, of the Canadians, of our athletes themselves. Then I had to go out and do it myself. So I had to uh, live by example. And, uh, and, and more importantly, uh, you know, I want to make sure that uh, we brought things back and, and we were the very best at what we did. Now, I talked about, you know, you playing basketball and you actually played basketball I in did. your first year <laughs> at Sheridan College. That's and right. you did some track and field and sort of took a little bit of a break in order to go to school and get your degree because, you know, you wanted the things like owning your own house and owning a 911 Porsche. And so... <laughs> It's one of those things where you have to put in the work in order to get it. Right. But let's go back to 1990. You're watching athletes compete at the world championships that you beat in high school. Right. Did this serve as your motivation to get back into competitive sprinting? Well, I don't know what it, I don't know what it served as, but I tell you what, I tell you what, I mean, working in corporate Canada, I realized that I hated being inside of an office. Right. That's the number one thing. I mean, I, I, I just didn't, I, I, for one, I was just young and, and I was young and I was ambitious uh, but I didn't want to be inside of an office. I just wasn't built for it. I think that uh, I have tons of friends that are in, 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 in the corporate world and they love, they could be in the office for 24 hours a day. And I just wasn't one of those guys. And I kind of felt more free when I was outside. So when I saw a couple of the guys competing that were on the national team that I'd, I'd beaten in high school, I thought, well, I used to beat them in high school. Um, I'm still in very good shape. I'm still very young. Uh, why can't I just go and, and, and beat those guys? So for me, I, I guess I'm, I'm an optimist. And, and I guess there was always never a shortage of confidence. Uh, you know, so, so um, when, I started, when I started track, when I started track part-time, I mean, you know, 
uh, I didn't, it wasn't, I wasn't a fat guy coming off the couch. I was, right. I, was, I played basketball probably three to four times a week, actually maybe more than that. Um, I was just coming out of college uh, and shared in college. We had won the Canadian championships. So I wasn't just playing basketball. I was playing right. with a basketball program that was the best in Canada at the time. Uh, you know, so um, I was also one of the best sprinters in Canada for my age, all through my teenage years. So sometimes when people talk about, oh, my God, you know, you just came from you kind of came from nowhere right. uh, to become this guy. And, and I'm like, no, well, it's not like that. <laughs> you know, at, you know, at seven, eight years old, you know, I was a great sprinter in Jamaica, you know, so um, going to going to school there, um, you know, so coming to Canada and 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 transitioning um, into into an athlete here. Uh, really was really was uh, was an easy thing for me to do but 1990 it was it was it was quite cool I didn't know I didn't know how long it was going to take uh, to um, to get to the place that I wanted to get to uh, but uh, you know as I mentioned before the disciplines that I have uh, and 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 the characteristics that I show uh, that's going to lead to success I'm going to put that in into whatever I do so I put that into track and field and um, well, uh, that's the story has been told, I guess. <laughs> I got to the top of the podium to become uh, the first man in, the, in history to, to undisputed first man in history to be to be those things that you just mentioned. Now, we're, we're going to come back to uh, first man and fastest man, because there's something I want to dive into a little bit later from 1997. Um but the one thing is, you know, obviously confidence is in no shortage when it comes to you. You know, you're very skilled. You're putting up these numbers. You are in the top tier. And, you know, you're not really fully committing to it at the time. And, you know, 1992, you don't make the Olympic team. A little bit surprising, especially because... It was shocking. I'm, I'm sure. I mean, you're performing so well as you lead up to the games. And you connect with a man named Dan Paff, who at the World Championships in Germany, and you begin this partnership with him that saw you make tremendous strides in your sprinting results to increase what you were already doing, including your 1996 accomplishments. What was it like training with Dan, both physically and mentally? And how were you able to become so successful? together well one uh dan is my coach so uh, sometimes you know you hear athletes talk about um my former coach so dan right. is my coach so dan is my coach today if i call dan today we can exchange information about anything and dan and i've always had the ability to discuss any topic and we did that any topic especially in light of what's happening in a crazy world right now in every way whether it's politics sports uh it, anything um when I connected with Dan, I realized very quickly that he was one of the smartest people that I know. And more importantly, uh, we had a conversation and the conversations um, usually is about me challenging him academically on something. And then of course him challenging me the same way academically, but also uh, also challenging me to, to see what I can get out of, of track and field. So we had several conversations about, about simple things. Um, Dan had some of the mannerisms of my dad, George, and, 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 and some of those things are, um, you know, be prepared and be ready to work hard. And, uh, and, and, and so the very first conversation I had with Dan was that he said for me to get all my, whatever it is that was happening outside of sport, get all of those uh, things in order because right. he expected me to show up to the track uh, to be a sponge, to absorb as much information as possible. And, and so 
from that very first conversation, man, it was awesome because I'm like, I found my guy, um, and and uh, and 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 it was going to be great. The, 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 one of the one of the other first conversations I had with Dan was, he said to me, "There's a lot of athletes out there that uh, are always looking for shortcuts. So athletes that have been before me and probably and after me for sure, where they're looking for they're looking for some sort of pill." Or, right. or, or the syringe or the advice of a doctor to be, to be uh, excellent at what they do. And he said, if you're looking for that place, this is the wrong place. And I gave him a big hug. And we never, we actually, since that day, we've never had that conversation again. But again, Dan is the smartest guy that I know. He's the guy that he and I can exchange information. If I asked him a question and he didn't know the answer, he would go, I mean, and again, you guys live in Google world now. So <laughs> at the click of a, of a, of a, you know, hit, you hit a button and you can get all the information. Dan would go to the library. He would, he would, he would, he would research things through encyclopedias. He would, he would, he would make a phone call to anyone in his network to just find simple information, you know, on biomechanics, on nutrition, on therapy and all of those things. Uh, you know, so, so the partnership that I had with Dan, um, allowed me to get to the highest level, but also the friendship and the camaraderie that I had with Dan, I still have today uh, because I understand that regardless of whatever your age is and whatever heights you have gotten to in, in the world in the world of success, uh, you're always gonna need that guy that stimulates you and that challenges you uh, to be a better you. And Dan is, Dan is, Dan is, is my guy. Dan's that guy. Now, one of the things Dan had said prior to you guys working together was that he noticed just how much it would affect you when you didn't get to achieve exactly what you were trying to. If you didn't finish first or you didn't place or perform the same way that you know you wanted to, you'd get really down on yourself and it would sort of become your focus. How, how did he find a way to sort of break that barrier and how did you change that mentality in taking it one race at a time and then just putting it in the back of your memory to go out and perform your best the next time you're called upon. Well, I think that, I think that sometimes people call that being passionate. Right. <laughs> uh, well, in some circles, sometimes they'll say arrogant, but I'll sure. say passionate. I don't, if I put work in, um, I don't like to fail. Right. And, and, and so one of the conversations that I had with Dan at that time, when he realized that I was so passionate about work and passionate about results was he would sit me down and we talk about the actual work that I put in. Right. So if I haven't, so, so again, it's so easy to have a conversation with an athlete when you can say to them, Hey man, do you think that you've put the work in to be the greatest? Uh, you know, and that, and again, my father and I would have those conversations about, about tons of stuff. Too. It's the same conversation. So Dan and I would have that conversation. And so, yeah, it got to the point that, that he goes, okay, you know what? Great potential. You're going to be the greatest. So great support there. But he said, you know what? We need to work on some few things. We need to put a work in, you know? So, so, so ultimately for me, it was about Dan and I having a discussion about my passion and my passion to win and my passion for hard work. Uh, but his, 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 his conversation and motivation to me was 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 to to let me know that I hadn't put in enough work yet. And right. not only did he tell me that, but we got to work every day. Every day, any hours of the day, we got to work every day. And he was he was 
working on improving himself and also helping me to improve every hour of every single day that I was with him. Listen, that's that's a great mentor. That's a great coach. And that's how, you know, people find ways when they meet that right person to exceed to the best and highest levels of whatever they're trying to achieve. Now, you brought this. We talked about this a little bit when um, I go into the 1997 sort of drama between Michael Johnson and yourself. But before we even get there, you know, you talked about Canada going overseas or playing at home when it comes to hockey, you know, the expectation is that we bring home gold and are recognized globally as a hockey powerhouse. Now, in track and field, you know, that wasn't the case early on, maybe a little bit more as, you know, we start to develop our Canadian program that has sort of changed. But despite your success at the 1996 Olympic Games, in some people's eyes, mainly the U.S. media, the title of fastest man in the world, an honor normally bestowed to the winner of the 100-meter sprint, was given to Michael Johnson, winner of the 200-meter race. As is the case with most Canadian successes on a global stage, most recently, the 2019 Toronto Raptors winning the NBA championship, the idea that accomplishments are less worthy sort of fit their narrative when Canada succeeds in something they're not supposed to. Before we get to what comes next, what did you feel uh, was the major contributing factor when this major news story broke? Because this was sort of headlines in both new uh, in the United States as well as Canada. Well, it was headlines in the world. Right. Actually. Um, <clears throat> you know, and um, you know what? You said something that's really important. You said narrative. And, uh, and, and I think that um, that's really all it was. Uh, sometimes you have um, uh, uh, media houses and reporters uh, that choose to ignore facts. Sure. And, and, and so that, that becomes news. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, we, we have adapted uh, the two words called fake news now. <laughs> um, however, uh, in 1997, I guess that was it. Uh, one factual, you know, at, at you know, for me running uh, north of 27 miles an hour, and Michael running 22. Now, anyone who knows math knows that it's 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 an imp- that's an impossible race to make. I mean, right? It's like a, you know, it's like a seven foot basketball player playing against a five foot basketball player. It's just not good. right. Um, also, um, I had competed against Michael before, so it really wasn't. Um, it really was never going to be a race, but, but the narrative suited a lot of people. Uh, and, you know, for us, we just bought into it because we looked at it as an economic opportunity. Right. That's really all it was for us. I mean, and it was, and it was probably one of those times that, you know, me being the number one sprint in the world, I was not going to back down from anyone, regardless of who they were and what they were talking about. Uh, I had beaten Michael in the hundred meters. So I wasn't really concerned with Michael with a race. Mike, mind you, Respect Michael, one of the greatest 400 meter men who ever lived, uh, one of one of one of the greatest uh, speed endurance sprinters that ever lived. But he's not a power sprinter, and it was never going to be. It was never going to be a race. I mean, you know, I knew that. I knew that in the first 10 meters, right? Uh, the race was going to be over. Like I knew this, but the world didn't. And 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 so you know, I thought that um, uh, let me be part of the promotion. Uh, let me. Um, let me become an athlete owner. Uh, right. It was one of the, so for me, it was, it became a business and an economic opportunity, uh, you know, to do something different. Very much like, 
you have, um, you know, I see you have a McGregor poster behind you, but like he's, but I'm just saying he's a co-promoter in some of his events for Floyd sure. Mayweather, you know, so, so at that time, I, and again, way before people even dreamt of this, uh, I really just want to be an owner of something. So I understood the inner workings of business. So, so it was just an economic opportunity uh, on the backs of the negative narrative of a few people who felt that, um, you know, they could get to market. And I guess some way or another, I would, I would back down or I wouldn't say uh, what was on my mind. And, and, and so, um, you know, unfortunately, um, you know, Michael was a victim of the race that day. I mean, he lost, yeah. uh, but, but yeah, I mean, it, it was, it's a great opportunity. I think for, for, it was for he and I to showcase our ability at the high stage, but I, I was never going to, I was never going to um, back down or, or I never, I've never felt, you know, walking at the race or before that or after that, I've never felt um, that I was secondary to him or to anybody else. Have you ever argued with a friend about the best sports movie? There's really no argument. It's obviously Caddyshack. What are you talking about, Adam? I guess you've never seen The Hurricane. Denzel is on fire in that one. And if it's not Caddyshack, it's clearly The Big Lebowski. We can all agree on that, right? Is that even a sports movie? Instead of arguing, let's agree to watch every sports movie ever made and rank them. I mean, we could record a podcast. What would we even call it? Real sports with two E's, like a reel of film. How are you both forgetting Remember the Titans? Remember is in the name. Ah, oh, jeez. Do you actually like sports movies or you just got a thing for Denzel? Can Listen and subscribe to Real Sports on iTunes or Spotify. A lot of great film. Great. I, I don't think that means what you think it now, you mentioned it earlier, you described yourself as, you know, passionate, and you just mentioned even right there, you were never going to back down. So let's go to the day, you know, Sunday, June 1st, 1997, the place, the Skydome, Toronto, Ontario, Canada. I was nine at the time and in attendance at the Skydome with my mom wow. for the 150 meter race to crown the fastest man in the world. As most people know, you convincingly win this race and have some choice words for your competitor, who in most people's eyes pulled up with an apparent injury. It's right. one of my favorite sports moments because of the raw emotion and passion coursing through your veins at the time. You famously said post-race, and I quote, he didn't pull up at all. He's just a chicken. He's afraid to lose. I think what he, what he should know, we should run this race over again so I could kick his ass one more time, end quote. A media clip that might very well be enshrined into the Sports Trash Talk Hall of Fame. Take us back to the event. What were your emotions like immediately after the race concluded? And 24 years later, do you still think he took the easy way out? Well, one, um, so to that day, uh, like I said, it, the race was over in the first 10 meters. So I right. really we didn't worry about that. I mean, Michael has had a habit of when he's pressed, if he doesn't, like he doesn't have the speed. He does. He's not. He doesn't. It does not. Genetically, doesn't have that. Right. Um, you know. So I. I don't know what happened. He said that there was a cramp on one leg. It, I mean, for me, it was irrelevant. It was never going to be a race, anyways. So, um, you know. So how I handled the situation that was how I felt. There was, you know, uh, we. I think we as athletes. Um, we there's a there's a camera in your face when you're at work and sometimes when you talk to anyone and it doesn't matter what job you have if there's a camera around you all the time most likely you know at some point during your work day you're going to be pissed off at someone sure. or at something 
you know, so uh, there was a lot of chirping that was happening uh, um, leading up to that. There was chirping from 1996 anyway. So of course. a year of frustrations. Michael has said a lot of things. I said, uh, I didn't say much actually leading up to that. Uh, you know, so so at the, at, at the, at the Skydome, really, I just wanted to, you know, just to beat him and, and to move on, move on to to uh, to raise Linford Christie in the UK, uh, Frankie in Japan. You know, so I really and I think we're supposed to have another race in, in Vegas, which got canceled because Michael opted out of it. Right. Uh, you know, so, so for me, the raw emotions that happen is what happened. Uh, you know, it happened. Uh, I apologize. I'm the only person in history that had to apologize because I swore the swear the swear word that I used was chicken. Chicken. That's what I said. <laughs> a word that a word that's used. I know I did say ass, which is also an animal, but <laughs> but I'm saying to you that I'm the only person that's ever been penalized for using ass and chicken, which is which is which is. I mean, I, I and even the context that it was said. Uh, you know, it's still okay. I mean, I did apologize because clearly you said you were nine years old, yeah. and you know, as a role model um, and as an athlete, you know, you wanna you wanna show uh, your best face. Right. And 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 maybe I should have taken a deep breath before I responded. Uh, but as you said, um, that's probably you know one of the one of the Mount Rushmore Hall of Fame um, quotes post post game quotes. Um, you know, for I'm, sure. So I'm happy to have that. I mean, <laughs> but but I have to tell you, I do respect Michael. Um, definitely, uh, definitely a great champion, but he was not going to be. It's it's interesting because my mom, who grew me up playing sports and athletics, and I mean, my track and field days were, you know, probably when I was nine years old, I came in first at one track meet and I got That's blown okay. out by somebody. But it it was a fun time. But but my mom was like your biggest. We said this before the podcast. My mom was is like your biggest fan. And despite the comments, my mom told me that when someone is giving you a hard time or when people is coming at you, you stand your ground. You right. don't back down from a fight. You don't start a fight, but you never back down from a fight. There you go. And and so like you said, you know, a lot of chirping, a lot of trash talking, and you were never going to back down. And I feel that when you have the adrenaline pumping and the testosterone is flowing, whether it's track and field, uh, we've seen it in football, we've seen it in almost every sport. If you stick a microphone in someone's face immediately after, before people can calm down, you're going to get a response like that. I think what people are more shocked about is that it came from a Canadian. Because right. if, if it came from an American or someone else, it's passion, you get Anyone it. but. Else. <laughs> But this global icon, this Canadian guy, okay. called him a chicken, said he was going to kick his ass again. And I think sometimes people mistake Canadians' kindness for weakness. Right. And on that day, no one mistook anything that you said. And I love it. It's one of my you know favorite things. I'd put it on your list of accomplishments because you put Canada on a map. Whether it was your performance, whether it was right. what you said, whether it was how you held yourself – you put Canada and the world on notice and say, hey, we're here. We're not going to get pushed around. Don't try that with me. Uh, well, ab absolutely. I mean, but here's the thing. So, um, uh, you know, I, I break the world record and I, and I, and I accomplish something. It's not like, so, so I, like I'm a trailblazer here. So no one right. has done what I've done. So you get to 1997 and still I'm, 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 I'm wearing the Canadian badge. 
And so going into the 150, I actually felt like I was being bullied. And sometimes when I speak to people, I say this. I mean, I felt, I mean, and it doesn't, there's no Michael certainly wasn't bullying me or or the media was bullying me. I'm just saying to you about a feeling. I felt I was being bullied. So I'm like, okay, let me work hard. Let me get this done. And just like you said, it's the same advice I give to my kids. Or if I speak to kids right now, one, don't start a fight. The dumbest thing in the world is start a fight. Because if you start a fight, you're the bully and you need to be punished, right? Uh, However, if someone comes up to you and punches you in the face, drop them, right? And 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 so and so that's the advice I give to my listen. I give that to my sons. I'm telling you this. I mean, I gave that to my daughter when she was a teenager. I'm like, don't ever start a fight. And so that's my athlete mentality, and that's also my my mentality as a as a man, but also as a father. I mean, and and so in 1997, I was representing Canada. I had Canada on my back, and and so I had a slew of Canadians watching, like you said, you're nine years old and there's, you know, a couple of million, you know, kids watching this. And and I wanna make sure that every single kid know that one, they have a support system in in the Canadian sports system uh, that they could become the very best, but also don't back down from anyone. And certainly if you feel like you're getting bullied, yeah, man, it's, 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 it's absolutely, we will, I will be in your corner 100%. So, so yeah, the, the, the race, was uh, the race was significant in that way, but I think the 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 um, the outpouring of support uh, from like uh, like Canadian fans, but global sports fans, uh, was spectacular, and and uh, you know we certainly have used that uh, hopefully to change the thinking of a lot of generation of people your age, where you know you see now you have incredible uh, hockey guys who leave from here uh, and go to the, uh, you know, NCAA system or go straight to the NHL. You see right. a ton of Canadian basketball players. Like, I, you know what I love is like basketball players who, who leave Canada, go to the U.S. Uh, to the college system, and then they're number one and number two draft choices. You right. Know, you, see, you see people like, you know, football players. Listen, you see people like Drake. Like Cardinal Official, you see, you see, you see musicians, you see people that that say, "Hey, man, I'm Canadian. I rep being Canadian. Yep. I love being Canadian, but I'm gonna lay it down. So get out of my way, right?" And so, if this inspired a generation of of people that believe that um, they should be successful and they work hard to get to that place, and that they should be the best and they're better than everyone else and they should be able to be confident and talk about it, then God, so be it. I guess my job was done on that day. 100%. I mean, you you talked about, you know, your mentality as a father and, 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 and the advice you give. You know, for me, it must be an island thing because my grandparents, my mom's side of the family from Trinidad, my grandma said, if someone hits you, you hit them back twice as hard. So they know not to do it again. And so, <laughs> you know, I, I take what you said and what my grandma said as, as a thing, you know, you don't start something. Never, but you always finish it. And that's, you know, that's how I teach my, you know, my daughter, she's, you know, going to be four in May. My thing is if someone does something to you, you make sure that you don't start something, but you always defend yourself because you don't let anyone ever walk over you. Now you talked about being a a trailblazer. And so I want to, I want to ring off a few things here. You know, 
In addition to the world championships and the gold medals, you hold some other pretty prestigious milestones, including the fastest top speed ever recorded in history at 27.07 miles per hour, not kilometers, miles per hour, only surpassed by Usain Bolt, the indoor 50-meter world record time of 5.56 seconds, a record that still stands to this day, inducted into Canada's Sports Hall of Fame twice, in 2004 as an individual, in 2008 as part of the 1996 4x100 Summer Olympic Relay Team. In 2016, you were uh, made a member of the Ontario Order, and in 2017, got your star on the Canada Walk of Fame. Out of all of your accomplishments, on and off the track, which one means the most to you? Oh, God, none of those things, man, for real. (laughs) You know, because I think that my job, I think my job here is not done yet. So I don't, so, and I'm not, and I've also not been someone who's, you know, like, like, for instance, you know, the Olympic 100 meter final or to be the champion is, is something like what I'm a Tiger Woods would look at as like a master's championship. Right. So so you look at those things as work. Now, a lot of the things that you rang out are um, things that were voted on by my peers or voted on by people who think that I've accomplished all those things and I deserve to be there. You know, but th- I think that um, my number one achievement for me really is, is uh, you know, I want to be a good father. I mean, I want to be a good father. I want to be, uh, and, and I want to make sure that my time here is used positively. I, I want to use my voice uh, you know, to to you know to eradicate uh, racism and social injustices in the world. You know, I, and I just want to I want to I want to be able to just do good. That's that's really my whole thing. And 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 I'll, I will continue to do out. Listen, I'll continue to work. I'll continue to to do business. But I think that um, you know I had a, I had the legacy of having a great father that I love. And 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 so um, I just want to do that for my children. So uh, you know. We, I, I had there's certainly a, a bag of, of, uh, of, um, of accolades that's been that's been read off, and I think those are all awesome. And I'm sure, hopefully, I'll get one or two or three or or ten more before I die. But I just, but I think that ultimately, for me, I wanna, I definitely wanna be a a, a great father and and a great role model for you know. For, so again, like for people like yourself. Uh, you know, or younger people, they can look at themselves and say that they can do anything that they they want to do. They can accomplish anything. So these are things that are that are um, that 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 I, I want to focus on. Speaking of focusing on things off the track, you know, since your retirement, you've created the Bailey Foundation. The focus of which is to bring attention to causes and charitable organizations close to your heart, which includes some recent inif- initiatives of, you know, the Bailey School Build in Jamaica, youth mentorship and leadership, prostate cancer research, and Alzheimer's research. What does it mean to you to be able to help out these causes? Yeah, I mean, I, I funny enough, I didn't just talk about that. I mean, that's <laughs> that, that's the number one thing for me. I mean, I was personally affected. Uh, um, with Alzheimer's, my mom passed from complications from Alzheimer's. My dad passed away from cancer, not prostate cancer, but cancer. But I also had two uncles that passed away from prostate cancer. So those are those are two of the initiatives that I will always help um, using my platform to either raise money and where and and raise awareness. As far as leadership and children, that's a given. That's something I've lived my life for. 
and 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 I will continue to do that. And of course, uh, you know, if I can participate and 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 we can build schools around the country, around the Caribbean, you know, uh, you know, around the world, uh, that's something I'll always do because I think that education is the number one thing that every single person in the world deserves to have, as well as they deserve to have a mentor and for someone to follow them at least. Uh, you know, follow in their footsteps so they can they can be productive members of society. Now, I want to switch gears a little bit because, I mean, obviously, I love what you're doing with the foundation. It's incredible. And I want to we talked about this a little bit when it comes to the shine of Canadian athletes. Now, let's focus on your sport that you were such a mainstay and an icon for. When it comes to sports movies, track and field doesn't get the love it likely deserves when it comes to motion pictures, documentaries, yes, tons of great documentaries out there. But when it comes to movies like Race or McFarland USA or even Chariots of Fire, there have been stories told on the big screen, but it seems to be missing the gold medal performance. Do you think there is an appetite for a track and field blockbuster movie? And if so... And given the choice, what would you choose uh, as far as a story to tell? Well, first of all, I, I hate, I mean, we talked about narrative before. I cannot stand when there's <laughs> negative narratives. I right. cannot stand that, I cannot stand that, that every athlete has to go through, you know, a single parent and they grew up in the ghetto and they were dodging right. bullets and, and all those things. And, and I think that uh, it, 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 is, it, is, it, is, it is time that a proper story is told. It's time that, uh, you know, one of the things I love even about, you know, in recent times, and, and this is great timing, is, uh, is uh, you know, The Last Dance, Michael Jordan. Now, right. I want to, now, now at the end of the day, there's so many incredible stories that there's a hero there. And it's a black hero. And someone right. needs to get used to that. And yes, someone is a legend and an icon and a hero, and he's black. Now, I know that about my story. I know that. Right. Right. Um, you know, so at the end of the day, I want to see like I want that. I want the story to be told uh, that doesn't have the narrative narrative of negativity. Most kids in Canada grew up like me with the love of mom, with the love of dad, whether or not they're together or not. They grew up with the love of their parents. They grew up in a community uh, where they could go to school and they could educate. They, they could get educated. They played sports. Uh, you know, and and something, you know, within them and the support system got to the place where they become very successful. So that is mo- like 99% of most Canadians. Uh, so I don't like negative narrative of people, especially when it comes to uh, Black success uh, or, or, or success of color, we'll say, uh, because certainly there's some Indigenous uh, people that have done some incredible things. There's other people. I mean, there's tons of other people, but I don't like when there's any negative narratives of people of color. And and um, and and so I think that there is an absolute appetite uh, for hero for for heroism. Uh, you know, of every color, every gender. You know, everything. I mean, we live in a world right now where it really is about equity and right. you know, and equality. So, so I think it's 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 about time that first of all, there's at some point they have to make a proper documentary about me uh, and, and the things that I've done. You know, there was something that was done a couple of years ago, but this was from this was from the mind of a very local director that I gave an opportunity to create something spectacular. But you can't create something spectacular if you don't know it and if you're not been around it. You know, so that so that that was result that was the result of of that 
piece that was done, which I think is terrible, right? Uh, so, so I, you know what? I, I think that, um, yeah, it is, it is high. To answer your question in short form, hell yes. It is high time that um, a proper documentary is told. It, it's, I mean, I think that, you know, if someone told the real story of someone like Edwin Moses, like a proper documentary, it'd be incredible. Uh, you know, even Michael Johnson, a proper documentary. Carl Lewis, proper documentary. My Story, a proper documentary. Linford Christie, proper documentary. Usain Bolt, my God. Like, I'm saying to you that, like, if this, if it's told how it's supposed to be, then, then I mean, it's incredible. Like, when you look at, when you look at, the, the, you think there's a media contract with, and this is just business, this is a side note. There's media contract uh, um, that the, uh, the International Olympic Committee uh, has for a billion dollars. Now think that now Jeez. the reason why the NBA is so incredible is because they're very transparent about the money they make. So right. imagine Usain Bolt getting a share of, of the audience and the TV ratings that he brings to the Olympic games, or I did, or Linford did, or Carl did, or Michael did. Now, you know, I mean, that's again, that's business, but you have to yeah. think about it on that side uh, when you're thinking of stardom and you're also thinking about people of color. 100%. I mean, just bringing it back to what you talked about as far as the narrative movies being, you know, shooting or drugs or single parent, all that kind of right. stuff. One of my favorite sports movies is from 2000, the year 2000, Love and Basketball. Right. Great story. Didn't have anything about, you know, drugs or shootings and really was about Monica being the one who becomes successful in the WNBA and Quinton, who was a star basketball player, being that like sort of stay at home dad. So way before it's time, something we would expect to see now, but 20 years ago, it was incredible. And I love that because of it, you didn't worry about anything other than basketball and the passion that came along with it. Feel good story, man. Incredible, incredible feel good story, incredible feel good story. And it's also was then about equality and yeah. success, you know, 100%. And, the fact, and, and the fact is that we should think about uh, role reversals in the house. So, I mean, like, like the, the, even to this day, like the fact that you watched it and this from 2000 when you're very young, at the end yeah. of the day, that's just teaching a life lesson as to what it is that we can do and what we should do, uh, right. you know, in, in, in society right now, which is, uh, so we're finally at a place right now where people are having conversations and listening, which is great. Now, listen, I know we're pressed for time. I'm going to ask you one more question to get you out of here. As an Olympian, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about the situation surrounding the 2020-2021 Summer Olympic Games that are supposed to take place in Tokyo. First off, given the amount of blood, sweat, and tears that go into training and preparing for an Olympic Games, what are your first thoughts when you heard the Games would be postponed? Man, okay, first of all, let me address what you just thought. You said an Olympian. Olympic champion. That's always sorry. Yes, Olympians are my fans. Anyway, right. Um, anyways, Julian, listen. Um, when I first heard it was going to be canceled, it was very disheartening for me, and I wasn't even competing. I understand. Uh, we 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 spoke earlier uh, uh, in your in the broadcast here about mental health, and there's a lot of dedication that's put into um, an athlete's life. Uh, I think that for those people who don't really understand, you live it and breathe it every hour of every single day until that moment that you can show what you can do on your field of play. Uh, you know, so it was very, very, I was, I was, I was obviously disappointed. 
Um, you know, but again, we have to look at, but I also, you, we have to look at, um, you know, the health of our athletes. Uh, one of the things I, I commended David Shoemaker, who was, in, who was the new CEO of the Canadian Olympic Committee, to become one of the first CEOs to pull the athletes back. So you know what? It's not worth um, risking your health to represent the country. Um, you know, so we're going to pull back and we're going to put our team, um, we, we're going to pull our teams out. Uh, you know, but, you know, it's obvious that it, <clears throat> it was certainly a strain. <clears throat> Excuse me. It was certainly a strain on, 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 on the athletes. Uh, you know, however, one of the things that we have learned uh, is obviously to be versatile and to pivot. So a lot right. of these young athletes have been able to train. A lot of them have not been able to compete, you know, for a year. And a lot of them have had very limited competition in a year. <clears throat> what other sports have taught us in, in boxing, uh, basketball, certainly football, is that um, you can actually put on sporting events without fans. Now, fans for me are such a huge part of the Olympic Games. I actually don't even understand uh, if fans are going to be there or what that's going to look like uh, when it happens. So uh, I, I can't even, like it brings, there's such a different vortex and a different feeling and a different tension when you have a fan, when you have when, when you have stadiums that are rafters, just like right. in, in 1997, the Sky Dome or the Atlanta or, or many times that I competed in that environment. But you know what? Uh, the great thing about it is athletes are very resilient. They understand what the goals are. I'm definitely looking forward to cheering on uh, Andre de Grasse and, and Aaron Brown and, and the relay team and, and the ladies that are on that side. I mean, and, you know, our basketball team that's going, I mean, whatever. Um, I'm looking forward to what it is that they're going to do because I know that a lot of them actually want to compete because it's been so long. Right. right? And, and I expect that they're going to go and they're going to shine and they're going to be prepared to do something spectacular. And, and for me, uh, you know, from my desk at CBC, I hope uh, that I hear the Canadian anthem, anthem quite a bit. Uh, from uh, from the performances of these great young kids that we have represented our country in 2021. Listen, Donovan, that was perfect. Uh, I appreciate that. Thank you so much for being so generous with your time today. It was both an honor and a pleasure speaking with you. If people wanted to follow along on some of the things that you're doing, where can they find you? Uh, they can find me on, on all the social media platforms. So at Donovan Bailey, I think on the Twitter and uh, the official Donovan Bailey at Instagram, something like that. Just, just <laughs> yes, uh, you know, they, just, just get on. You you can, you look it up and you tell them. Okay, perfect. I'll, I'll post it in the description. Amazing. The Big O Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you choose to get your podcast with full-length video episodes on YouTube. Make sure to like, subscribe, and follow for future episodes. For my guest, Donovan Bailey, I'm your host, Julian Ortiz. Thank you so much for watching and listening. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you.